0: Like God's word says, we should and try and understand the message it has for us at this time. The Lord is my shepherd. It's interesting that in, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, <clears throat> God likens us to sheep. Jesus emphasized that more than once. He told his disciples, I send you as sheep. In the midst of wolves. So. Jesus described the world. As a pack of wolves. And his people. Are like sheep. We must keep that. Picture in our mind. Always the world is full of people who are. Snapping at each other and. Trying to attack the sheep. And Jesus said that his disciples would be like sheep he didn't say that we were we would be like lions we would be like sheep helpless weak that's the way god wants us to be so that we would depend on our shepherd and not on ourselves to protect us from the evils and uh, There are in the world from wolves and lions and snakes and everything. God intends his people to be weak. If you read the Old Testament, you find that God never allowed Israel to be strong in themselves. Many times in the Old Testament you read how they were surrounded by a multitude of enemies far stronger than them. Because he wanted them to depend on him. And that carries over into the New Testament. Jesus pictured the church sometimes like a widow. A widow is one of the, without a male member in the house, is one of the most helpless of human beings. He pictured the church like sheep. Helpless and weak. So, it's when we don't recognize that, and we are strong in ourselves that we have so many problems, because then we don't depend on the Lord as our shepherd. The other thing that encourages us, I I read somewhere that among all the animals that there are, it's sheep that tend to get sick more often. Sheep and human beings, they're the ones who get sick most often, more than all the other animals in the world. (laughs) I mean, pigs and dogs can eat almost anything and they never get sick, but... You know how easy it is for us to get a tummy upset with any little thing. We're among the weakest of all. God has made us like that. The other thing about sheep is, a sheep is not very clever. It's pretty stupid. And uh, it's humbling for us to recognize that God compares us to sheep. We're not that smart as we think we are. We're not as clever, at least in spiritual things. And that's why it's good for us to humble ourselves ourselves. And say, Lord, if you don't lead me, I'll go astray. That's why we need a shepherd. Now, if we were lions, lions don't need shepherds. Even dogs don't need shepherds. But a sheep will always go astray if it doesn't have a shepherd. The other thing about sheep is, now I've seen this in India. Uh, we have sometimes on the main roads in our city... Uh, A man driving a bunch of sheep down to the slaughterhouse to be slaughtered. And uh, it's so, we see it regularly, almost every day. And uh, it's so interesting to see that all the sheep will follow the one in front. And if that one turns left, they turn left. If that one turns right, turns right. If they go jump in a pit, they'll all jump into the pit. This is how stupid sheep are. And the Lord says, you're like that. You, the question is, do you recognize that? If you recognize it, how easily we follow leaders who are, whether they're leading us astray, into a ditch. We just follow and look at the multitudes of even Christians who've gone into cults. It only proves they're sheep. And that's why we need the Lord as our shepherd. Each of us must be able to say, the Lord is my personal shepherd. That's the first thing we need to see here. To be a blessed man, a man whom God can bless, you need to know the Lord as your personal shepherd. Now, it's true that in the church, God has placed a lot of under-shepherds. guide us and lead us but that under shepherd, a pastor must never be a substitute for your personal connection with the Lord Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and they follow me now it's wonderful if you come on Sundays and hear a pastor's voice a preacher's voice that's good That's better than sitting at home. But, that should never be a substitute for hearing the Lord's voice. Because the Lord said, my sheep hear my voice. And so, one good question that all of us could ask ourselves is, Is it only on Sunday morning that I hear the Lord speaking to me? Is it only when I come to a meeting that I hear the Lord speaking to me? Then you need to ask yourself whether you really are one of the Lord's sheep. Because the Lord says, my sheep hear my voice. I remember one young person who once went to a godly man and asked this question, which is a very sensible question. He was very honest. He said, I read in the scriptures that the Lord says, my sheep hear my voice, I don't seem to hear him. And that godly man said, it's true, the sheep hear his voice, but the lambs need to learn to distinguish his voice from other voices. See, when we are young, it's we hear so many voices in our mind, and we don't know which is the Lord's voice. And one reason we don't know which is the Lord's voice, I'll tell you this, is because we don't read God's word enough. If we had read God's word more, in the multitude of voices that we hear, we'd be able to distinguish which is the Lord's voice. How is it you're able to recognize your dad's voice on the other side of a wall, in the midst of other voices? You hear many voices there and say, hey, that's my dad, or that's my husband, or that's my wife. It's only because we've heard it and heard it and heard it. We're able to pick out that one voice from a hundred other voices over there. That's the type of relationship God wants us to have with Him. And that can only come as we read God's Word. The more we read God's Word, the more we become familiar with which is God's voice compared to all the other voices. Which is my voice and the voice of my self-life and which is the voice of the devil and which is the voice of so many other people. So this is something which I want to encourage all of you to develop. I believe it's one of the single most important habit that we could develop is to learn to listen. To listen. Jesus, the reason why I say that is, there was a time when Jesus visited a home in Bethany. There were two sisters there called Mary and Martha. And one was very busy serving Martha uh, cooking food, not for herself, very unselfishly, sacrificially for the Lord. And there was the other sister just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening. Now, it's a very wonderful thing to serve the Lord, like Martha. And particularly if you're serving unselfishly and sacrificially. And that's what she was doing. But when she was doing that, she came to the Lord and said, Will you tell this lazy sister of mine to come and help me? And Jesus told her, Never forget this. Martha, you're worried about many things. But one thing is needful. That's Luke 10.42. He said it. What Mary has chosen, that is more important than what you're doing in the kitchen. What is the message there? That to listen to my voice is more important than you're serving me. Have you heard that? Many of us find a satisfaction... In doing something for the Lord. In helping the poor or the needy or visiting the prisons. or It's all good. It's exactly what Martha was doing. Sacrificially doing something for God's people. But Jesus told her, that's not more important than listening to my voice. So please remember this, my dear brothers and sisters. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. It's when we follow Him that we can become fishers of men. He didn't say, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the most important thing or the first step, we shouldn't put the cart in front of the horse. The first step is to follow and we can't follow if we don't hear. The Lord is my shepherd and because He is my shepherd, I shall not want, which means... I shall not lack anything that I need in my life. That's a wonderful promise that if I keep following and to the best of my ability, we make mistakes, but if we make mistakes, the Lord will bring us back. But it's a wonderful promise that if I, to the best of my knowledge and ability, seek to follow the Lord in whatever He tells me to do, I will never lack Anything I need in my life. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all the other things that you need will be added to you. God hasn't promised to give us all that we want. Now, we have probably heard that many times. There's a difference between what we want And what we need. And the best example is our children. When children are small, there are many things they ask their parents for. Which they want. But a wise parent doesn't give it all to them. And God is much wiser. He does not give us everything we ask for. Just like we don't give our children everything they ask for. Some of it can hurt our children. A six month old child would not know how to handle a knife. And um, a knife is very useful, but not in the hands of a six-month-old child. Or a one-year-old doesn't know how to handle a $20 note. You wouldn't give it. It's a good thing. But you wouldn't give it because he's not yet ready for it. And there are a lot of things that God doesn't give us because we're not ready for it. We don't know how to handle it yet. So God doesn't give us all that we want, and that's why a lot of our prayers are not answered. Well, they are answered, but the answer is No. I, I always say God answers every prayer. There's no unanswered prayer. The thing is, some answers are yes and some answers are no. So, but He doesn't give us everything we want. He gives us everything we need. And that's a promise. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. It's one of those wonderful promises that Jesus gave. It, there's a condition attached to it. And if you fulfill the condition, God says, I'll meet it. I'll fulfill the promise. Now, there are some promises without any condition in the Bible. Did you know that? For example, God makes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. So, if you want the sun to rise on you tomorrow morning, you've got to be either good or evil. That's all. <laughs> everybody qualifies. The rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, that everybody qualifies. But there are certain other promises in Scripture which there's a condition. If you, it's like a contract, you know, you sign with somebody, they say they'll do that, and you'll do this, and you both sign it. It's exactly like that. God makes a contract with me. He signed it already. The name of Jesus is there. Now, if I put my signature also, the contract is complete. That is, if you seek God's kingdom and His righteousness first, all the things that the Gentiles seek after, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, What shall we wear? How will we take care of our earthly needs? Not wants, but needs. It's promised. It will be supplied. And it doesn't matter which century we live in, which economy we live in, which country we live in. Many years ago, when we started the church that we have a number of churches now in India that have come up over the last 25 years. And this is the promise that I wanted to see whether it works in a poor country or not in the 20th, 21st century. Things are different in India if you know something about it. There's no social security, no food stamps, no uh, you can't get anything free. Even education, you have to pay for, and everything you have to pay for. And if you, if you are not able to pay for it, you actually live on the streets with a whole family. We have many families like that in India that live on the streets with their all their possessions. There are people who live in the slums. Now, is it possible in a country like this with tremendous amount of unemployment with uh, <clears throat> 18 million people being born <clears throat> every year uh, and, and rather the not being born but the addition of population which is births minus deaths is 18 million every year in a con- which means so much more need so much more jobs of it to be Made available that are not available in a country like this. Is it possible for people to seek God's kingdom first and find all their needs are met? Now I can tell you after 28 years, I've never seen a single case in any of our churches where that promise has not been fulfilled. It's always been fulfilled in the poorest of the poor. We've seen people come into our church with debt, ridden with debt. Who are on the verge of suicide. I know one family where. uh, They were planning to. Take poison and commit suicide one day. With their three little children. Because they were so much in debt. (coughs) And. Somehow. The Lord. Prompted me to visit that home. That day. And they were saved. And they. Have come and. Came to our church and. Are free from debt. Not. Because we gave them. If we start giving money in our church in India, we'll have the whole of India at our doors. (laughs) But we taught them to seek God's kingdom first. And when they sought God's kingdom first, the other things were added to them. That's not just one case. There are many cases like that that I can tell you. We have never seen a single case till today of a person who sought God's kingdom first in his righteousness and found that the basic necessities of life were not added to them in every single case their earthly needs were met so this is absolutely true if a person makes the lord his shepherd he his life is perfectly secure he shall not lack for anything he needs spiritually or physically or materially to make the Lord your shepherds God gives you the best retirement benefits and everything you shall not lack anything what does he do? it says here in verse 2 we're going to go through verse by verse to try and understand what what the Lord does for those who belong to him I want to say one more thing before we proceed remember that when A shepherd has sheep. Jesus spoke about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. Every one of those sheep are totally his. He owns them. They don't have any will of their own. They can't go where they like. He owns them totally. And this is what it means to have this type of relationship with Jesus. Where he owns me totally. Every part of me belongs to him. And... You don't realize what a blessed position that is. I feel sorry for those people who give themselves half to the Lord, half for the world, who've got other interests in life. I'm not talking about such Christians. I'm talking about those who want to belong to the Lord 100%. Who want to give their whole life to Jesus. Their whole, all their ambitions, their future plans. Every part of their life and say, Lord, I'm totally yours. That's the person who can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's bought me. I was in the market and he bought me. I'm his sheep now. I shall not lack anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now I want you to notice something here in verse 2 and verse 3. He makes me lie down. Notice the emphasis on he. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake it's possible for us in the Christian life to be so taken up with what we have to do for the Lord that we don't think enough about what he does remember this it's a very simple principle that the foundation for the Christian life is not what I do but what he does and what he has done what He did on the cross is the basis of my forgiveness. And even what I do for the Lord, the Bible says, God works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. It's not just that He died for me on the cross. Everybody knows that. I mean, all of us know that we can never work to get our sins forgiven. There are many people in the world, many religions teach that you've got to do something. To have your sins forgiven. But we know. We can do nothing. To have our sins forgiven. He did it all. But the mistake. And this is where. You know. Christians become legalistic. And try to live under the law. The mistake we make is that. After we are saved. We think now. Okay. Jesus did that for us on the cross. And now we are on our own. Now we have got to do something. No, it's not like that. Even after we're saved, we still need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do something in us. Just like we depended on Christ to die on the cross for us. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit to do something in us, to work in us, to will and to do His good pleasure. It's God who produces in us the desire and the ability to do His will. It's He who makes me lie down. It's He who leads me. It's He who restores my soul. I don't have to restore it myself. He'll do it. I've got to submit. You know, that's wonderful to see that in the first chapter of Genesis. When God said something, the earth just submitted. And something happened. God said, let there be trees. What did the earth do? Okay, sure. If you want trees, let trees come forth. And they came out, came forth. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's why the whole work was finished in six days. That's why it takes so long with us. That we don't respond as quickly. So here we see something right at the beginning of this psalm, which is very wonderful. It's what Christ has done. And it's very interesting that the first things... That are written here. Are got nothing to do with service. It's not a question of. How much we're going to do for the Lord. That'll come later. It's to do with what the Lord does in me. He makes me to lie down. I believe that's very important. It's speaking about a life of rest. Jesus said come to me. All you who labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And I believe the world in which we live is in uh, such a situation of being constantly busy and constantly in a rush. It's so different, even in India. From what I've seen India 25 years ago, from what I see today, people are so busy at work, and that they have hardly any time to listen to God. That's, we've got to be very, very careful that that, that doesn't happen. He makes me to lie down. God ordained one day in seven for Adam to fellowship with him. He says, you can work six days but you need to spend one day in fellowship with me. You need to lie down. He makes me lie down. I remember about twenty years ago when I had to uh, going to hospital for minor surgery. And before I went into hospital, I prayed that God would heal me without surgery. Isn't it? And God could do that. And I prayed and prayed and He didn't heal me. So I, well, I had to go to hospital and the surgery fixed the problem. But when I was lying down there in the hospital... I said, Lord, why don't you heal me? I'm—I've got to, There's so many here, I'm tied up for so many days here when I could be serving you somewhere. And the Lord said something to me at that time. That it was not because he could not heal me without surgery. It's The Lord said, you've been running around so much, I hardly get any time to talk to you. So you've got to lie down here for a little while. And I believe the Lord's got to say that to some of us. Don't wait till he puts you in a hospital bed before. There's one good thing about lying in a hospital bed. There's only one direction you can look and that's up. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where we need to look a little more. When we're not in a hospital bed too. To listen. He makes me lie down. And I thought of that at that time. He made me lie down. Because I was too busy running around. Are some of you so busy running around. That you don't have time to hear what God is trying to say to you. Green pastures. Speaking of something that God wants to speak to your heart. To bring rest to your troubled soul. Jesus always took time for that. Usually. He was a very busy person. Jesus was very, very busy. More busy than any of us sitting here. Some of us think we're busy. Not as busy as Jesus was. He, people were always coming to him with some need or the other. So he would sometimes get up before everyone else was up. To sit with his father. To hear. Think of this. That he who was the perfect son of God who never committed a single sin, needed to sit and listen to his Father. How proud and conceited we are to think that we don't need that time. To think that we can get along without spending time with God. That's a mark. It's not a mark of our busyness. It's a mark of our conceit and our pride. We've got to humble ourselves. And say, Lord, if you needed times like that, how much more I need it. Now, it's not a question of which time of the day you do it. For some people, it's not convenient early in the morning, maybe late at night. But I want to tell you this. We need to hear God's word, God speaking to us quietly, wherever we are, somewhere or the other, sometime every day. You need to take a little time for that. You need to make time for it. And I believe that there are times when God can speak to us when we can't hear what God is saying because we've always got some music going. That's that's another way. It could be Christian music too. If you have Christian music going morning till night, you won't be able to hear God. Now that Christian music is good. But don't let it ever, you know, block out time that you should have to be alone with God. He makes us lie down. And as I said, don't wait till He puts us in a hospital bed. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the quiet waters. Now it's interesting to see how... Right through Scripture... You find this balance... Between God's Word and the Holy Spirit. The green pastures speak about God's Word on which He feeds us. And the quiet waters speak about the Holy Spirit. Right from the beginning of Scripture... Till the end of scripture. You find this balance. And I believe this is so important. We're not to be. Academic students of scripture. You know studying the book scripture like. We study some history book or something like that. To get the answers. Neither are we. To think that we can be so. Be so sure that the Holy Spirit is leading us. Without God's word. In both these extremes, we have Christians of God astray. But throughout scripture, if you read carefully, there's this balance. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the quiet waters. He leads me into a life where the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And if I keep on reading God's word, I'll find that at other times the Holy Spirit speaks to me in line with scripture when I'm not reading scripture. It's wonderful. This is how the Christian life is supposed to be. We're supposed to be hearing the Holy Spirit leading. And then, when when we're like that, we can have some amazing experiences with the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived like that throughout his earthly life. He would walk down a road and the Holy Spirit would say, Let's look up into the tree now. And there'd be a man sitting on the tree. Zacchaeus. Spend time in his home. And we say, well, can I experience that? Yes, we can if we begin in the kindergarten by reading God's word and allowing the Holy Spirit first to speak to us. Many people are looking for those supernatural experiences first. And that's why they go completely astray. We got to start with allowing him to speak to us from God's word first. Because here is what the Holy Spirit's written down first. So he leads us... In the green pastures and beside the quiet waters. Verse 3. He restores my soul. Now there are a number of things we can learn from this. First of all, it means He constantly revives me and encourages me. That's one ministry of the Holy Spirit. We live in a world where we can see so many things. And so many things can happen to us that discourage us. And if I have developed this habit of listening... To the Holy Spirit speaking to me through his word. And at other times. He will always encourage me. Remember this. God never discourages us. He's called a God of encouragement. If you hear a word in a meeting that discourages you. You can be sure that wasn't from God. If you hear a word in a meeting that condemns you. You can be sure that wasn't from God. If you read the Bible and you felt it condemned you. You can be sure you interpreted it wrongly. Because God's not a God of discouragement. God's not a God of condemnation. And any person who comes and says something to you. That discourages you. You can be sure God didn't send him. That's clear. Because he's come to restore my soul. He's come to revive me. He's come to encourage me. He's a God who is always out to encourage us. That's the first meaning of restoration. And the other thing is. This soul is what. Uh, Is the biblical word for our personality. And because of sin. All of us. Our personality is warped. And crooked. And here is the wonderful promise. That he's come to restore my personality. Into the beauty of Jesus Christ. Into that original image. That he planned for Adam. And this restoration work is under progress in all of our life. That's why we need to be patient with one another. You know, I've seen some of these places, uh, we have them in India where some, you have them here too, I suppose, where in an airport, for example, they have some renovation work going on. And there'll be a board there saying, renovation work in progress, please be patient, we want to serve you better. Inconvenience is regretted. We must see that board on everybody hanging. There's an invisible board (laughs) hanging on everyone. (laughs) Renovation work is in progress. (laughs) I want to serve you better. Inconvenience is regretted. (laughs) I'm sorry I hurt you with what I said or did. But the work's going on. Once it's done, I'll be perfect. He is in that process of restoration. Not only in my life, but in other people's lives. I remember years ago where I was thinking of one of our brothers in one of our churches in India where he had been in some years ago, a bit of a disappointment. And the Lord said to me, do you want people to think of you as you were a few years ago? I said, no, Lord, and I think I'm a little better today than I was years ago. I want them to think of me as I am right now. And the Lord said to me, why don't you allow for the possibility that that person who was a disappointment to you some years ago has also changed? That he's not the same today. Why do I want other people to think of me not as I was two years ago or five years ago? And why do I think of that person as he, as my experience was with him some years ago? God is in the process of restoration. None of us are perfect, but that work is going on. And as long as the work is going on, there's a certain amount of inconvenience. It's natural. But He restores our soul. It says here further, He guides us in the path of righteousness. Now that means, first of all, He leads me to be justified in Christ. To be justified in Christ means to be declared righteous. That's the first place of righteousness to which the Lord leads me. The path of righteousness begins with being declared righteous in Christ. I can never, never attain to the righteousness of God. And that's why God's made a way by which He can accept me. Where I come as a sinner and I confess my sin and He clothes me with the righteousness of Christ. Or, to use another example, He imputes or puts the righteousness of Christ into my bank account. I've got nothing in my bank account, but he puts his millions there, and all of a sudden I become a millionaire, without working for it. That's the meaning of justification. The righteousness of Christ put to my account, clothing me. But from there, he leads me to actually become righteous. Righteous. In my daily life. The first righteousness is imputed. And the second is imparted. Where I, it becomes part of my own nature. But so we see here that he guides us in paths of righteousness. And remember this. You can know whether the Lord is leading you. By asking whether that path is a righteous path or not. Do you have peace in your heart as you consider it? He will never guide us in paths that are not righteous. He will never lead us into paths where we have to cheat somebody, or cheat the government of taxes, or take advantage of someone, or where we have to tell a lie in order to get along, get by. No. He will always guide me in the paths of righteousness, because that's His nature, and He can never act contrary to His nature. And that's one way by which we can know whether it's the Lord leading me or some other voice trying to lead me. He guides me in paths of righteousness. In India, uh, we had very strict rules concerning customs duties of what people are allowed to bring into the country and not allowed in the very heavy customs duties for various things. So it's a very common practice for many people who visit foreign countries and come back to India to try and sneak things past the customs by hiding it in their luggage and things like that. It's a very, very common practice. I remember in that connection what the Lord said to me years ago. He said, never be hesitant to pay any tax or duty that you're supposed to pay to the government, whether income tax or customs duty, Because the Lord said, I have no shortage of money. I can give you money to pay your tax. You know that Jesus gave money to Peter to pay his tax, even miraculously. He asked him to go and catch a fish and there was a gold coin in the fish's mouth. And the Lord said, you pay my tax and yours. The Lord's interested in helping me pay my taxes. I get that from that story. So the Lord said to me, I have no shortage of money. But I have a shortage of righteous people. Remember that. He has no shortage of money. But he has a shortage of righteous people. And don't add to that shortage. By being unrighteous yourself. (laughs) He guides us in the paths of righteousness. And you'll ultimately find. At the end of life. That that is the safest path to walk upon. The Bible calls it the highway of holiness. In Isaiah 35. Where no lion can walk. Many, many people encounter the devil because they're not on paths of righteousness. On the path of righteousness, the devil can't touch you. It's not possible. It may be a difficult path, it's a narrow path, but it's a path of absolute safety. And the other thing I want you to see here is, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's not to show other people what a wonderful fellow I am. No. No. God does a work in us so that He will be glorified. It's not good for us to get glory. Not on this earth. One day He'll give us glory when we get to heaven. There we can bear it. But here we can't bear it. And that's why He... It's not that He doesn't want to give it to us. He'll give it to us when we can bear it. But here it'll destroy us if we get glory. That's why He says, Do everything for My name's sake. The first prayer He taught us to pray was hallowed be thy name. And that's where the Lord has to deliver us from this character, which is characteristic of all the children of Adam, to seek glory for ourselves. We do something, it could be preaching a sermon, it could be singing a song, to draw attention to ourselves. The more we do that, the more we miss the path of righteousness. He guides us in paths of righteousness For his name's sake. God created us for his glory. This is how God wants us to meditate on scripture. We can get such a lot from three verses. If we meditate on it. And I'm just trying to explain to you how you should be reading all of scripture. All the time. Otherwise we miss so much. Many of you read Psalm 23. I wonder if you've seen these things that I pointed out to you. We go to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The shadow of death, I believe this whole world is a valley. It's not a mountaintop. It's a valley of suffering and trial and difficult situations where the shadow of death is always looming. None of us can predict when we will die. James says, even James says to believers in James 4, don't say, tomorrow I will do this. He says, say like this, if the Lord wills, we shall live tomorrow and then we will do this. So the valley of the shadow of death is there for believers. We don't know. There's a shadow of death looming over us, but We live without fear. Because for us anyway, it's not death itself. We're not afraid of death. Because death has been conquered on Calvary. One of the wonderful truths that's delivered me from fear is to recognize what the Bible says, that when Jesus died, He destroyed Satan's power. And took away the fear of death. The fear of death is the greatest fear that people have. And if that's taken away, all the other fears are taken away. So it's not death itself. It's only the shadow. You know, it's just like uh, if you're going through a zoo. And there's a lion in the cage. And you see its shadow. Oh, I can walk through the shadow without any fear. (laughs) So what if it's the shadow of a lion? I wouldn't like to encounter the lion. But the shadow is okay. <laughs> Have you understood the shadow of death? It's not death. Death's been conquered. Jesus conquered death. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm there and because I'm a human being. Death is there. But it's, it's not something that brings any fear. Because it's been conquered. And when I walk through this valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Fear. Is not to be found in the heart of a Christian. Any type of fear. Because of one reason. Because thou art with me. You know in the Old Testament there is a incident. Where Moses. Where the Lord told Moses. I'm sick and tired of these Israelites who disobeyed me in the wilderness. I will not come with you anymore. It's in Exodus 32. I'll send my angel with you. Moses said, no, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're staying right here. What a word. To say, Lord, I never want to move one step anywhere if you're not going to go with me. I don't want any angel. I want you. Thou art with me. Therefore, I don't fear. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There are two things here. The rod speaks of discipline and the staff speaks of God's promises. We need both of them. We need God's promises to deliver us from fear. We also need the rod to protect us from going astray. I heard a story of a shepherd who with a sheep and somebody was looking at his sheep and saw one of them was laying Limping along, limping along, close to the shepherd. And he asked him, how did this sheep become lame? And the shepherd said, well, he was, this little sheep was always wandering off and getting lost and getting caught in the bushes and in great danger that one day I took my rod and made it lame. So that it wouldn't wander anymore like that. And ever since then, it's always stuck close to me. Has the Lord done that to some of you? You know the reason why He made you lame so that you wouldn't wander off anymore, so that you can be close to Him. Thank God for such experiences. It's not those people who have never made a mistake in life who are most useful to God. It's the ones who made blunders, mistakes, failed the Lord badly, perhaps failed the Lord even after they were saved but whom the Lord has succeeded in disciplining, made lame. There's a there's a limp in your life today. Thank God for that. That's what even the Apostle Paul needed. He said, God made me weak, so that I realized my need of Him. So that rod is so important. He uses it on us. The Bible says, if you're without discipline, you're not really children. You're illegitimate children. Thank God for His discipline. Thank God also for His staff, His promises. They comfort us. They assure us that no harm can come to us. I will fear no evil. God protects us in the valley of the shadow of death from all the evil that the devil can do to us. I heard a story once of John Wesley, the great servant of God in England in the 18th century people were mad at him because you know he was emptying the bars and the drinking saloons of people. People were getting converted and those who were selling alcohol were losing their business and there were people who actually wanted to kill him because he was converting so many people to Christ. And I heard they, he, used to ride, he used to go horse riding early in the morning and come back late at night preaching all over the countryside and some evil people who knew the path he would be going by once tied a rope across two trees in the path where he would come riding his horse in the night hoping hoping to knock him off the horse and kill him. And he came riding along full speed and just before he, this pitch dark night just before he reached this rope an ant bit him in his leg and he bent down to scratch his leg passed under the rope and came up. You know why God created ants now. <laughs> they are a nuisance most of the time but sometimes they save the lives of God's servants. That's, that's what happened. He don't have the fear. A man who lived like that he used to say when people tried to kill him he says God sent me to serve him. And nobody can kill me till my life's work is done. It's wonderful. You know, when you belong totally to the Lord, when you're a sheep, He's your shepherd, I'll fear no evil. Because He's with me. Thou preparest a table before me. Thou prepared a table before me, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. See, this is the interesting thing. That God doesn't take away the enemies. We sometimes pray, God, get rid of those enemies. The Lord says, no, I'll do something even more wonderful. Let them be there. And I'll make a table for you. You see, you and I sit and have breakfast together and let the enemies watch. Let them see that I'm with you. Sometimes we wish that God would get rid of some of our enemies and he doesn't. He does something more wonderful. That in the presence of those enemies, he sits and has breakfast with us. We have fellowship with him. And he wants us to concentrate on the table and not on the enemies. That's how we are delivered from fear. In the presence of our enemies. This is so true to life. The enemies will be there. But the Lord prepares a table for us. In the presence of our enemies. And anoints our head with oil. This emphasis on the Holy Spirit comes again and again and again and again. First of all, He leads us beside the quiet waters for our own life. And now... He's thinking of using us, you know, after all these verses talking about our personal relationship with him. He says, that's not all in the Christian life. I want to make you a blessing to other people. I'm going to anoint you with my Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, you read the Old Testament, you see nobody ever served God without being anointed. Even Jesus was anointed before he went out to serve the Father. He prayed. You and I need to pray. God, anoint me. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit. And when we are anointed, it says our cup overflows. Do you find it difficult to serve the Lord? You need to be anointed. Then your cup will overflow. And what will be the result? Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I I look at it like this that when my cup overflows, Wherever I go, I'm just leaving goodness and mercy behind me. Where I go to a home, I've left it, I've left some goodness and mercy there. I go and meet a brother and I leave him, I've left some goodness and mercy with him. I go somewhere else and I leave some goodness and mercy. Think of living a life like this. Where you become a blessing to every home you visit, every person you visit. Just like the blessing of Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's God's will for us. And I will dwell in the house permanently. That's my ultimate goal. The house of the Lord forever and ever. This is the man God blesses. Amen.
1: You are invited to visit our website on the internet at www.cfcindia.com That is www dot c f c i n d i a dot com and at punan dot org forward slash zac that is p o o n e n dot o r g forward slash z a c for video messages, audio messages, and books. By Zach Poonen, that can all be downloaded freely. Our mailing address is Christian Fellowship Center, 40 De Costa Square, Bangalore, 560084, India. If you would like to receive a weekly message by Zach Poonen by email. Please send us your email address to cfclit at touchtelindia.net. That is cfclit at net The Lord bless you richly.